You're listening to the sixth season of Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about the intersection of liturgy and life. I'm Father Jeffrey Reddy, Director of Orthodox Christian Studies at Trinity College, part of the University of Toronto. I'm also the Rector of Holy Merbera's Orthodox Mission in Toronto. I'm joined by my former student and good friend, Father Yuri Hladio, who pastors St. Maria of Paris Orthodox Mission in Hamilton. For our sixth season, Father Yuri and I will be making public our series on the Desert Fathers and Mothers of the Church, previously released only for our patrons. You'll be hearing the episodes exactly as they were originally released. We release special private issues for our Patreon subscribers on a weekly basis. If you like what you hear and you'd like access to more podcast content, you can go to patreon.com forward slash enacting the kingdom or go to enactingthekingdom.com and follow the link from there. For now, we hope you enjoy the public release of this episode. Welcome to the Enacting the Kingdom private podcast. You're listening to this because you've chosen to financially support this project, and Father Jeffrey and I are so grateful to have you as part of our Patreon community. As a show of our gratitude, please accept this Patreon-only episode as a special thank you. Today we're talking about virtues, charity, services of love. We're also talking about solitude, silence, and hesychia. Yes, we will be talking about silence today. Looking forward to that one. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be um, very quiet, so make sure you turn up your volume on your podcast and listen to the silence. No, uh, we're talking about the sayings, obviously, of the Desert Fathers and Mothers on the topics of virtues and on the topics of silence. So, well, let's just dive right into a saying, Father Jeffrey, and we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. So the first saying here is from uh, Abba Agathon. Abba Agathon said, If I could meet a leper, give him my body and take his, I should be very happy. That indeed is perfect charity. Well, it actually, that's sort of the first bit of the saying, Father Jeffrey, but I think that's worth stopping and investigating there. Um, on one hand, I read that and I think, yes, of course, it's it's a giving of ourselves for the for the other, right? That self-sacrificial service of love, that 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 charity, right? Um, uh, the um, unconditional love, that's the word, unconditional love for the other. And that's, you know, truly what virtues are trying to point towards. But on the other hand, to fully just take on the suffering of somebody else, I don't know. Is it, can can there be a point where that goes too far? So I, yeah, that, that's what comes to my mind. Is yeah, obviously giving of yourself very important, but at the same time, can you go too far in giving of yourself? That's where my mind goes. So I'll turn it over to you. <laughs> Start at the easy part. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I want to back up just one step here and say you know, this is exactly what confirms what we've talked about earlier in the series that, you know, contra what a lot of people might assume with the Desert Fathers and the retreat to the desert and ultimately monasticism is all about, it's not selfish, right? This is not, uh, I need to do this for my own sake. I want to get away from the world. I want to avoid people. I want to have nothing to do with the other. Uh, They are the distractions for me to be purely spiritual. I need to be by myself, right? So this is there's this kind of sense in which we sometimes posit the 
the kind of monastic struggle and the desert struggle as one of kind of being by oneself. And, and we emphasized earlier that that monachos is about, you know, that single, singular focus rather than being entirely by oneself. The whole point of the desert life is not for its own sake, but rather, you know, by you know, taking on you know, all of that struggle that we talked about the, you know, guarding the heart and the, the cell of the heart and, and avoiding the passions and focusing on the virtues. We release all of the things that, that get in the way of our capacity to show love, right? The aim of all of this is God and the love of God and the love of neighbor, right? This is the whole point. It's nothing to do with, well, I'm going to go and live at the top of a pillar or in a cave or over the other hill so that I can be by myself and not have to worry about anyone. The whole point is to return and to to provide for the needs of others and to to show that self-sacrificing love that is the ultimate, you know, goal of, of human existence. So the question becomes, you know, is there such a thing as too much love? Um, is there such a thing as, as going, you know, too far? I mean, I think it, on an ordinary human level, with, there's a balance, you know, of loves and so forth, right? So as the father of a family or a parent in some other capacity or somebody who's responsible, you know, for someone, you can't, you know, leave your children in order and, and, and self give up yourself for the sake of the the leper, you know, on the quarter, you know, and, and, and abandon your children. So there's, I, I think part of the equation here has to be about who are we placed in a context of having, you know, to love. And so uh, it's not so much charity begins at home. I know there's that expression, but it's the, I'm not suggesting that to the exclusion of of addressing the needs of the world. But if we are not going to be in a position to look after those for whom we have a, an already taken on responsibility, then I think it probably is, you know, going too far um, to just suddenly drop everything and, and, and address somebody else's um, needs. I mean, I think ultimately there is no end to the love that we're called to share because this is ultimately a participation in God's own infinite love. And we just become transparent to that. We, we open a valve and, and it flows through us, the forgiveness, the grace, the love. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's no end to the capacity of God in that regard, but there are human you know, constraints and so forth. So as we go to apply, you know, maybe what seems as very rigorous, very, um, you know, not maybe extreme, yeah. Uh, desert spirituality in the life and the world. We, I think, we need to just have some sense of balance there, right? You know, we don't. You know, uh, if if in the long run it's better that I stay employed and be able to provide not only for my family but it, you know, charitable endeavors and that sort of thing, it doesn't make sense for me to do something in the moment that's going to cause me, you know, to to become needy, you know, towards other people, you know, over a long period of time. So I think that aspect of responsibility needs to be factored in here. But but no, in terms of that ultimate question, is there a limit to that love? Um, I, I think not. The, the kingdom is predicated on ultimate giving of oneself, you know, for the other. But that's not finally a deprivation because in that sharing in God, love of God and love of neighbor, we too are loved, right? It, it's not that we're left out of that equation. And um, I think as we'll go on to hear about Abba Agathon here, I mean, it's not a, it, he does, it's not self-destruction that, 
that occurs in his life when he acts in this way about, you know, he, he's imagining the situation where if he meets a leper, he would want to exchange places with him. And, and then he's given an opportunity, as we'll go on to here, to do something like that. But it, it doesn't lead to annihilation, right? That's not what self-sacrifice is. Self-sacrifice and participation in the communion and love of God is ultimately about achieving the fullness of who we are called to be. That's what a proper, full human life looks like, participating fully in the life of God. We don't say God being a communion of self-sacrificing love himself is somehow self-annihilating, right? So I think somewhere between the, the constraints of the world and the responsibilities we have and understanding ultimately that this is not about erasing ourselves, but about becoming properly persons in the image and likeness of God, you know, we can understand how that, that love to the end works. I'll go back to the saying here. I'll finish it up. It was also said of Abba Agathon that coming to the town one day to sell his wares, he encountered a sick traveler lying in the public palace without anyone looking after him. The old man rented a cell and lived with him there, working with his hands to pay the rent and spending the rest of the money on the sick man's needs. He stayed there four months till the sick man was restored to health. Then he returned in peace to his cell. And that's, I guess, that opportunity uh, that he got that you were uh, alluding to, Father Jeffrey. Mm -hmm. And he did what he was capable, you know, of doing. I mean, Abba Agathon doesn't have a wife and children to go home to. I mean, you can imagine, you know, this story being told of Agathon. Hey, my, my wife would not be happy if I didn't show up back home for <laughs> well, four no, exactly. months. Exactly. Agathon the carpenter, you know, went out to do some shopping one day, met someone in town, decided to do this thing, take up work in, in the town and, and, and live there for four months. Meanwhile, his wife is out of her mind, sick with worry. You know, he didn't text, he didn't phone. You know, yep. you can imagine the story playing out rather differently in, in another circumstance. It's not to say that that absolves us, you know, being in the world or having families or commitments, responsibilities from any of this. It means we probably need to find cleverer and more creative ways, you know, than just, okay, you know, I have complete freedom in my time and at my disposal here. I can just take up with this um, this cause for the next four months and, and work with my hands, earn enough money for the rent and for the food, and I'll stay with him into, until he's better. You know, that was what he was capable of doing. And so he was required in that moment to do it. But, you know, I say there's no absolution here of saying, oh, well, you know, we'll leave that one for the monks, right? Or the for those who are capable, you know, of that there's always something we can do in the circumstances, you know, that we're given. And I think it's it's going towards that and that what the story represents is that he did all that he was capable of doing and so much the better i mean he showed that 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 love and and both of them you know the both the person he's caring for and the and 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 agathon himself become full human beings in in, in that relationship in that caring i'm going to go down to the one saying here by abba john the dwarf so abba john the dwarf said a house is not built by beginning at the top and working down. You must begin with the foundations in order to reach the top. They said to him, what does this saying mean? He said, the foundation is our neighbor whom we must win. And that is the place to begin. For all the commandments of Christ depend on this one. That's uh, It's fascinating in this saying. He gives a saying and actually embedded in the saying is 
the perhaps his disciples or the monks that are around him asking him to explain it, um, which is kind of what we do when we we read these things and we try and explain them. So it's fascinating to hear he gets to actually explain what he means by his saying. Mm-hmm. Although quite possibly the explanation itself needs explanation. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. You know, it, it never gets anything less than than cryptic, you know, with these um desert fathers and mothers. Because of course they're they're trying to provoke, they're trying to get us to to reflect as we as we've talked about before. But it, but once again, I mean, how counterintuitive is this? You know, I was just talking to somebody the other day about, you know, desert spirituality and they said, well, you know, that seems altogether selfish to just go off into the desert and to ignore one's neighbor. Well, Abba John the Dwarf is saying it begins with your neighbor. Its foundation is your neighbor, the yeah. love of neighbor. And so unless you're kind of attuned to to that reality, then then maybe you will miss the point, you know, all of this. I mean, yes, there's a there's a level, and we've been talking about this, of detachment from one's own desires to, to create that space and freedom within one's soul to to kind of have a cultivate a relationship with with God, but the whole point of that is to kind of enlarge our hearts, right? It's to 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 create space and freedom to be available for our neighbors, right? And so attending to the other is, as Abba John says here, the the, the very foundation of everything. And I, I like the way he actually puts that that the foundation is our neighbor whom we must win, you know, and and. You know, maybe on some level that sounds a bit like, well, we need to convert them to to something that we have in mind, some sort of ideological crusade or something. But I, it's not what, at all what he means. I don't think, anyway. I mean, you could say I, I agree but, with you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it, this winning our neighbor is through this, you know, openness, this radical generosity, this radical hospitality, this this being available, you know, to them. It's about opening our hearts. And to in the relationship between us to to the healing power of God, right? It's like what we saw Abba Agathon do. He won his neighbor, right? Because he gave that person who was ill the space to be ill, to suffer, to but but then to mend and and to to grow and to heal, and within a loving you know relationship. And that's that winning of neighbor. I think it's just a it's a remarkable image in my mind that, you know, there's a whole world out there, Father Yuri, and and there's a lot of people to be one. And if we could win them Mm. in this way, what a different place, you know, it would be. And I know, you know, we're going through a particularly, you know, uh, sobering moment, let's say divisive moment in our country and our society as we kind of deal with the late stages of a pandemic and all of the divisiveness that's that's kind of accrued through, through that you know, we need to go out and win a lot of people is, is the kind of foundation here. If we could only, mm-hmm. all of us take that on board, that to be generous, to be hospitable, to be gracious, to be loving, to win people, win people for God, win people for Christ. And, uh, you know, I, I just think if we understand that as the foundation of all these things, we're going to be going into Lent soon. And maybe some of these reflections will be in some of our listeners' minds as they, they do their Lenten discipline and, and attack the, the the spiritual life with, with more vigor and asceticism and everything. But let's remember the foundation is this, this love of others, this winning our neighbor. So if I were to characterize, so if I were to put a little pithy saying together, I'm wondering if you would agree or maybe give it some nuance, Father Jeffrey. But you might ask, you know, what is the state of my spiritual life. Well, all I have to do is look at my close relationships and that will tell you 
you know, the state of my spiritual life. Um, that yeah. sort of feels that sort of feels like it could be like a saying of a father or something like that, or like a better version of that. But it, it, it's kind of cryptic in just the right way. But I, I, I just wanted to get your take on it. Well, well but, but I mean, it's from the Sermon on the Mount too, right? I mean, but it's the fruit that shows whether there's goodness, right? It's not ultimately, you know, some kind of inner examination, although we do that as part of the spiritual life. That's not what's going to give us our passing grade or not. It's what what results from this, you know, and, and it's precisely in our relationship with others that that fruit is manifest, right? All of the fruit of the spirit, if you go and look at that list, they're all relational, right? You can't, you can't exhibit that fruit in abstraction, in, you know, off on your own. None of the people in caves, at the top of pillars, over the other hill, could actually, in the final analysis, exhibit fruit of the spirit until they were in relationship with others. And then, you know, love and grace and, and truth and beauty and so forth are, are, are made manifest in, in that relationship. So it's, it's yeah, it's, it's the relational content of our human existence that we need to uh, examine to see whether, you know, the hard work of, that we're putting into our our kind of spiritual life, into attuning, you know, the, the the space within in terms of our relationship with God, fighting the passions, turning to the virtues. If that's actually taking hold, it will manifest itself in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in in our relationships on on the street. It's difficult to imagine, you know, somebody who is praying, you know, without ceasing and and fully immersed in God's love and grace, going out and cursing people or, or indeed defrauding them or, or causing violence or harm. Uh, it just, those, that just would not compute, right? So it, it's, it's in that manifestation of, of, of things that we can see whether or not um, we, we are heading in the right direction, whether we've oriented our hearts towards the love of God or not. Well, we're going to pivot here to our second topic this episode, which is solitude, silence, and isihia which means silence. Um, and I figure let's start this with a five-minute quiet time. No, uh, we're just going <laughs> to... Uh, in terms of podcasts, that wouldn't work super well. Um, There's that famous piece of music, right? Which is... Um, uh, three, you know, the fellow comes out and oh, yeah, yeah. opens up the piano. Sits John, there Cage, for a few John, John, John Cage. John Cage, yeah. Actually, he did a full it. orchestral performance of this. You can find <laughs> right, it on YouTube. Okay, not just the piano. Okay, very good. So yeah. what is... I don't know what a podcast-length version of, of something like that would be. But, uh, but it would not be... You know, Ezekiel is not just silence, of course, but it's like this you know, total stillness, right? We, we've talked about that when we mm, talked yeah. before about things like the the contemplative parts of the Liturgy of the Hours and stuff like that, where we, we were called actually to do something rather physical and rather intentional, which is to stay still, right? So it's utter stillness, uh, quiet, much more than just being in a quiet environment or, you know, putting on noise-canceling headphones or something. It's about you know, just really, really calming ourselves down, slowing down. And I mean, you can even imagine heartbeat, you know, coming to a kind of a, the a lowest safe ebb and, and so forth, but just being in that moment and, and so forth. And so, yeah. So let's hear some of the, the sure. sayings about this. Sort of so we're getting, Abba Agathon's getting a lot of love in our podcast today. Um, Ab, it was said of Abba Agathon that for three years, he lived with a stone in his mouth until he had learned to keep silence. Hmm. 
well, that's pretty intense, right? <laughs> um, but it's, it's fascinating. It, 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 in this small little sentence, the, it, you could almost like, there's so much richness that you can infer. You could almost make a movie out of this, you know, like there's a, a man who's in the desert trying to live that life of solitude and stillness who seems to have trouble with his mouth, right? Who like mm. perhaps talks too much and puts his foot in his mouth or, you know, whatever it might be. And then, you know, puts a stone in his mouth as this physical reminder, you know, as he talks, it's going to move around in his mouth and it's going to remind him, right? Um, you know, we, and I think we do this with other things in our life. There's the, is, there's the common trope of tying the string around your finger to make sure you don't forget something, right? Um, so using a physical uh, object to create some friction between you and the behavior that you want to stop. Um, this is actually very psychological, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then until he learned to keep silence. Yeah. I, I mean, the, there are many obstacles to achieving that kind of inner stillness that we were talking about. And you know, I think the first thought often is, wow, there's just so much in the world around me, right? I'm, I'm distracted constantly by everything, you know, and I mean, the internet has just made that much, much worse for most of us, right? But, but you know, our, our lives are busy, they're filled with noise and so forth. And I think our first thought is, you know, if only we'd had the, 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 the privilege of being in a quiet place. Oh, look at those monks, look at those nuns in the desert. They, they, they have it easy because it's quiet, right? But I think the story sort of indicates that it could very well be that a lot of that noise is coming from us, right? It's not just that background noise pollution of our lives. Of course, it is that, and, and we, we do need to be attentive to that, but it could be that an awful lot of it from our mouths, from our hearts, it is a kind of constant stream of noise, right? That, that, that we are crowding the world out as much as anything else is. And so um, it is a beautiful image, you know, this idea of, well, I'm going to, you know, regardless of what else is happening around me, I'm going to make sure I'm not part of the problem here. And, uh, and I'm going to, you know, bring that stream of noise that's coming from from my lips but also ultimately my mind my heart you know bring that to to some sort of discipline really you know and and to know that um it's it's not always necessary for us to just contribute more background chatter and and noise you know to the world maybe if we just stilled ourselves a little bit we could hear that still small voice of god in the midst of of situations right and i think often we we compensate for not hearing that still small voice of god with with our own chatter with our own thoughts with our own words with our own you know intervention having said all that i think that something really important to emphasize here is that silence itself can kind of have a a bit of a shadow side right there's there's a bad silence, and let's let's make sure that we're, you know nobody's misunderstanding this here. But the, there's a, the bad silence is where you know people keep hidden abuses, right, and 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 dark secrets, and people are told to be quiet and to to not speak out, right. The the the, the whistleblower is is punished, is 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 abused, and so you know he or she doesn't speak up, um, or you know 
children or, or women who've been through abusive relationships or, or, or marginalized groups that have suffered greatly over time, they're told to be quiet, right? Not Don't say anything. Don't speak up against power, privilege, oppression, and so forth. That's not the silence we're talking about, right? So, you know, Abba Agathon is not putting a stone in his mouth to prevent speaking up about injustice and so forth, or indeed anything that, that he would have, you know, suffered himself. So we're not wanting to bring an end to that, right? We don't silence, um, you know, that. And there's also a, a kind of a bad silence in relationships, right? The kind of silent treatment that people give to one another, which is about, which is not mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. allowing space for the other or allowing the relationship to flourish, but it's about kind of trying to destroy a relationship out of resentment or anger or whatever. So let's let's exclude those. You know, silence is not, you know, it, it's silence is not absolutely good as a as an end, right? Silence is is a kind of tool, and it's it has neutral value, and it can be deployed for good or for ill. So, what we're talking about here in the desert spirituality, in terms of silence and stillness and inner quiet and so forth, is is a spiritual discipline that, you know, as we were just saying a few moments ago, is about the neighbor, the relationship, the love, the grace, and allowing that openness and, and generosity to flourish. If that silence is it for any other purpose, like stifling justice or, you know causing hurt, you know, to others, then, then, then that needs to be excluded here. You know, um, we're talking about a kind of authentic silence that is life-giving, right? Yeah, I believe it's not here, so I'm not going to quote the saying, but there is a saying about that kind of, um, negative silence, right? Where there's this monk that comes, there's a group of monk that comes and everyone's praising this one young monk because he keeps silence, but the, but then he gets questioned by one of the elder monks. And the first thing he says is, yeah, that's right. I'm not like all these other stupid monks, right? <laughs> so he's harboring this like resentment in his silence, right? So yeah. it was a faux silence. That's not good. <laughs> right, so. right. Well, let me read another saying about silence here. So Abba Piman said, a man may seem to be silent, but if his heart is condemning others, he is babbling ceaselessly. But there may be another who talks from morning till night, and yet he is truly silent. That is, he says nothing that is not profitable. Hmm. Well, that's a real recast of, of silence, right? It's not just the mere physical fact of not having sound waves. It's about, I guess, kind of the state of your heart, really. Yeah. And it's not dissimilar to what we saw before about the, you know, you can be, you know, it crowded by yourself, or you could be alone in a crowd, right? Like in terms of achieving um, quiet and, and stillness and and focus and, and so forth. I mean, there's so much wisdom, you know, in these sayings. It's 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 so remarkable to think that this is you know from so long ago from 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 an environment that you know has, knows nothing of our modern technological world with all its complexity and everything and it just speaks to the heart of 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 everything you know that we're doing this is so so true you know you could you could be totally quiet and yet filled with this kind of incessant stream of consciousness of of thoughts and words and babbling noise right you know as as he suggests here or indeed you could go through your life you know talking 
but actually giving profitable, helpful, beneficial words to people, life-giving words, uh, speaking wisdom. And that has the quality of this stillness, of this inner quietude and, and silence, because it, it comes from, from this grace-filled place of openness and generosity and, and relationship with God. And so, you know, it, at no point can you, if you're paying any attention to this, can you be misled into thinking that these things are sort of instrumental, right? Or just sort of they're, they're tools for tools sake. And that's the focus. And, and it's all about, you know, it's all about not eating and being by yourself and, and about staying totally quiet. It's not, it's, it's about something completely transcendent here, which goes beyond any of the tools themselves into genuine loving relationship and and so forth and and again I, i'm astounded and i don't know why because by this point i should be you know well used to this but i'm astounded by the wisdom that is present in, in these things and how 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 ultimately life-giving this all is i remember there was this, this so this is not a saying of the desert fathers but um i had a family friends when we were growing up they had a little sticker on their microwave that said um better to keep your mouth shut and appear stupid than to open up your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's definitely not a saying of the Desert Fathers, but this is what it's reminding no, me of, right? But you know, those, you know, the, the best of, of kind of folk wisdom, actually, you know, which that kind of represents, go comes out of the heart of the same tradition, right? You know, I just think the Desert Fathers and Mothers said it best <laughs> to begin with. Yeah, you exactly. Know, you know, but uh, but there are the the kind of Reader's Digest and Hallmark card versions of the same things. And and when it works, and it, it, it's true, you know, and so, yeah, absolutely. Let, let, me, let me not prove <laughs> prove the point by, by opening my mouth. So. And it's almost like, I, I mean, I don't want to take this too far, but it's almost like when you open up your mouth and what you say is, a kind of a revelation of of your heart and really you should only this reminds me of also the passages in the epistle of james where he talks about the tongue being the most powerful weapon we have as human beings and it's dangerous like it can it can create heaven and it create it can create hell right that's how mm -hmm. intense this instrument is so the, the care that should go into the words that we use right and, and the, the first thing is we need to have a proper orientation of the heart before we can even before we should even open up our mouths. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm just thinking yeah, out loud no, here. No, you're right. And I mean, why wouldn't it be this way when the whole of creation is ordered by logos, by word, right? You know, the, so the, the logos capacity within us, which is that rational faculty which gives you know, forms thoughts and gives voice to, to words and, and so forth, you know, we need to take that really, really seriously. This is a, one of our principal faculties that needs healing, that needs reorientation, that needs direction towards the ultimate telos of all things. It's almost like we sometimes think, well, you know, there are parts of me that have to do with the spiritual life. I'll attend to that. But, you know, I'll just go on doing everything else. I've always done it in the way I've been doing it, which is I speak, I meet somebody, I have a casual conversation, I don't even think about it. It's only later we realize that, you know, careless word that we spoke caused great harm, right? It's a, it's a real revelation to us when we hear back sometimes things we've said, oh, I was, I was just joking, or I was just, you know, I, I didn't mean it that way or whatever, just because we were careless, the logos was still 
powerful, right? It, it, it cut as it went out from us. And so we need to, to attend to that. And maybe one of the ways of integrating this understanding of silence and quietude and stillness uh, in, you know, for those of us who are not, you know, in caves or at the top of pillars or, or, or in deserts, is to maybe introduce it at least at this micro level that, you know, when we're in conversation with someone, particularly with people that we know are in a difficult situation, you know, maybe they're going through illness or job loss or family struggle or whatever, you know, in a, the course of a conversation, why not introduce moments of silence, right? If somebody asks us something, rather than just immediately rushing to fill the void and speaking into that and, and maybe doing so carelessly and, and harmfully, you know, there are moments when we can just sort of say, you know, let's have some silence, you know, let, let's, let's have some peace around that. Like, do you mind if we just reflect on that? You know, or even if you've asked me a question, you know, let me ponder that, you know, and, and if in introducing moments and, and, short spells of, of silence, perhaps we can be a little bit more intentional about what does come out. Maybe we realize we don't need to say as much, right? Maybe the only word that needs to be spoken there is, is a genuinely comforting, grace-filled word, something that is a, that points directly to, to God. And, and rather than just trying to rushing to fill all gaps and silences with, with our words all the time. It's possibly a, a good discipline. And maybe we could be more tolerant of each other in being quiet together uh, and not necessarily thinking we need to fill every space with, with verbiage. Well, as usual, we'll have one of the Desert Fathers take us out. Today, it'll be Abba Rufus. A brother asked Abba Rufus, what is interior peace and what use is it? The old man said, interior peace means to remain sitting in one's cell with fear and knowledge of God, holding far off the remembrance of wrongs suffered and pride of spirit. Such interior peace brings forth all the virtues, preserves the monk from the burning darts of the enemy, and does not allow him to be wounded by them. Yes, brother, acquire it. Keep in mind your future death, remembering that you do not know at what hour the thief will come. Likewise, be watchful over your soul. Well, that does it for another episode of the private podcast of Enacting the Kingdom. Thank you again for all your support. Please feel free to comment with any follow-up thoughts or questions. Father Jeffrey and I read them all. Looking forward to having you back soon. 